Let us also understand, as we celebrate the birthday of Martin Luther King, that Dr. King's work in his ministry and his civil rights work was about the next generation. So these issues we work on are issues we work on to impact the generation of our children who come behind us. So on this King birthday, I want everyone to uphold voting rights, advocate for voting rights, say to members of the Senate and say to this nation, let's not let's honor Dr. King, but don't celebrate while the right to vote's being taken away. Welcome to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Adrian Guest, along with my co-host, Devin Dito. And listeners, we're excited to be back with you in a new year for a new season, season four. And to top it off, it's MLK Day. All over, communities are honoring the legacy of a civil rights icon, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. To help us bring reverence to this moment, we're joined by Mark Morial, president and CEO of the National Urban League. Before we begin, let's tell you a little bit about Mark. Over the last 15 years, Mark has expanded the reach of the National Urban League services by powering their affiliate movement and establishing a framework to create policies that serve communities of color. As mayor of the city of New Orleans from 1994 to 2002, Mark led New Orleans Renaissance and left office with a 70 percent approval rating. He is a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania with a degree in economics and African-American studies and holds a law degree from Georgetown University. He also is the author of The Gumbo Coalition, a collection of lessons on the power of unity in our democracy and a leadership framework for America's changemakers. So listeners, again, we're welcoming you back to another great season. And Mark, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity and congratulations uh, to both of you for this show. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate that. We were excited to come back. Season three outpaced season one and two combined. So we're looking forward to an awesome season four. And to start us off, Mark, uh, in our first segment, we wanted to really talk about the Black uh, American dream and really hit on the in- the inequality that we kind of still see for our people here in America. You know, Dr. King spoke about his dream and talked about how he wanted equality and freedom from all brothers and sisters, regardless of their skin color. But in America, it's it's sometimes hard to see this in this equality. Um, we saw in the pandemic how it really, really devastated our community. We've seen how police have been killing our people at high rates. Even our children, Mark, are suffering from virtual learning. So our first question for you. How would you grade the administration and Congress on how they're working towards creating an American dream for black and brown communities? Well, I think, uh, first of all, I appreciate the opportunity and the chance to uh, share with uh, people all over the country on the state of black America. And I think before giving my views on the administration and the Congress, I think it's helpful to just let everyone know, what do the facts of the state of Black America say? A report we prepare and issue every year. We've been doing it for 40 plus years. And and I like to say, as they say at the end of a boxing match, they say, let's go to the scorecards. So let's go to the scorecard. The scorecard shows wide disparities between Black 
and white Americans. Wide disparities between brown and white Americans. The disparities between black Americans and white Americans in the field of economics has not dramatically shifted in 40 to 50 years. Uh, the uh, disparities between black and white Americans when it comes to education has narrowed somewhat, not significantly, but has narrowed somewhat in the last 40 to 50 years. We have more high school and college graduates in black America uh, than we have ever had. Uh, the disparity between black and white Americans in health care remains significant, has changed somewhat, slightly, uh, after the passage of the Affordable Care Act. Uh, the disparities between blacks and whites in the criminal justice system are well known uh, and wide uh, and have not significantly changed uh, when it comes to disparities in sentencing, when it comes to disparities in uh, the length of sentencing, when it comes to disparities in the, re the, uh, re uh, the rate of arrest. So we have a picture where disparities have been wide, disparities have been uh, stark, uh, but black Americans are like a caboose on a train. This is what's important. So while we have more black Americans with high school diplomas and college degrees than ever before, we have more white Americans with high school diplomas and college degrees than ever before. So the numbers for both communities are higher, but the differential remains significant and similar to how it's been for many, many years. Uh, I think that the Congress uh, and the administration uh, absolutely get an incomplete on a number of issues, uh, and uh, uh, but should be given uh, some recognition for doing a number of things that the community asked for during the campaign. One, we wanted a campaign, or rather a cabinet, that had significant black, brown, and representation of people of color, but focusing on African-Americans. Cedric Richmond is there. Marsha Fudge is there, uh, for example. Uh, EPA administrators, Administrator Regan uh, is there. There are a number of African-Americans. Uh, Susan Rice uh, is there. Uh, the president has made, I think, important progress in nominating African-Americans, particularly African-American women, for federal judicial positions, both on the, on the federal appellate courts and the federal district courts uh, in America. Uh, the president uh, has uh, uh, included within his initial American Rescue Plan important uh, dollars and money to address health disparities when it comes to COVID, uh, to, in fact, uh, provide money for city and county governments uh, and to provide provisions that address racial equity. Uh, however, the president's main proposal, uh, which Build Back Better, has not passed the Congress. And as of this moment, it appears as though uh, the actions of a, of a Christian cinema uh, are going to plague and thwart our ability to pass voting rights. And the responsibility for that is not going to simply sit uh, with uh, Senator Sinema, but it's going to sit with all Democrats and it also sits with all Republicans, in my opinion, for failure to address the moment in the time. I say an incomplete because many of these issues, uh, you've got one year into this presidency of a four-year term. Uh, and so in the first year, I think there's been significant effort. But I have great frustration 
that we couldn't get police reform through the Congress. Why? The filibuster. What is stopping us from getting voting rights passed? The filibuster. And so when I think about this, the filibuster, which is a Senate rule, has once again reared its ugly segregationist head. It's raised its ugly Jim Crow head. It's raised its ugly racist hands and is thwarting important progress on issues that are of great importance to African-Americans. So we sit where we sit. And I am one, when it comes to the performance of public officials, that calls it like I see it. So I'm going to give kudos or recognition, and I'm going to call out uh, work that is not done, and police reform is not done, uh, and the issues with respect to voting rights and democracy are not done. I think that's that's the tagline for 2022. There are a lot of things that aren't done. When you talk about the Biden administration, like you say, it has only been one year. Like we are one year out of four. It feels like a lot longer because there have been so many things going on that seem to push down the things that we're focused on when it comes to our agenda or the black agenda for the things that we're trying to get done. You know, the pandemics come up, inflation and economic things are happening but I guess the next question, you know, you kind of answered the things that we were asking, but I wanted to ask too, we talk about like the state of black America and the state of our community and, the, you know, where we have made gains and where some challenges still remain. But I guess for people who may be wondering, you know, in your view, what is the, I guess, the end goal? You know, when you say the black American dream and, you know, what are the things that you're focused I, on? Where are we trying to get I, I've to? always thought, and, you know, it's an important question. And I always thought that our goal has to be parity, economic parity, educational parity, as as a first step, right? Uh, because it is inequality, not that the conditions that white Americans live in are perfect or represent utopia, but parity, I think, is a goal for black Americans. Uh, because we've never had parity from the beginning and the founding of this nation where we were afforded uh, three-fifths, counted as three-fifths of a person, but given no rights. We were not given three-fifths of the vote. We were not given three-fifths of property ownership. We were not given three-fifths of an education. We were given zero, but slave states could count us for the purposes of uh, increasing the number of white elected officials who were, in, who were elected uh, by the three-fifths rule. So parity, I think, for black Americans uh, has to be our goal, right? Uh, Because when we talk about parity, we can understand it. You know, we can talk about, I would like every black American to make $275,000. I would like every black American to have the car of their dream, the home of their dream, (laughs) optimal health. We can talk about it in those terms too. What are really our ultimate aspirations uh, as individuals? Uh, I'd like to see a nation with far less gun violence, 300, rather 30,000 people a year dying from gun violence, both homicide uh, and suicide. 100,000 people are dying uh, from opioid overdoses. And increasingly, uh, there are black people involved in that. Uh, There are still too many black people being killed by the police. So we have a range of issues. But I always think when we talk about black America, Uh, We also have to not have a picture view 
which is all about the challenges and the deficits we face. Because I think we also have to lift up the uh, the accomplishments of the community, uh, the significant talent of the community. Uh, every May, hundreds and literally thousands, hundreds of thousands of young black students are graduating from high school and colleges in America. Uh, we, we, we have to celebrate the success we have in politics, uh, in electing people to office, in and uh, in, 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 in orchestrating change. I, I feel that it is unhealthy for us mentally and psychologically to simply think only of the challenges we face without celebrating the successes, the progress, the resilience, uh, and the accomplishments of Black America and Black Americans. Amen. Amen. I, I, I think that that's important. Uh, we had an episode uh, where we talked to uh, Dr. Shanette Garrett uh, and, and we really went over the idea that, yes, you need to teach uh, like your children that it might be difficult to be black in America because you have to overcome certain things. Like maybe you have a black sounding name or you are born into a family that's got a low credit score. But like you said, we can't embed that in our children because it does damage the psychological uh, being that they have. We do need to show them that they are empowered and they come from a rich you know, ancestry. So we appreciate you bringing that to us, Mark. But what we're going to do, listeners, we're going to give you your first break. When we come back, we're going to get into our second segment. So stick with us. We'll be right back. We absolutely appreciate your support. You are the foundation and our efforts work to better your communities. Tell your family and friends so we can all work to bring progress. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, welcome back. Let's go ahead and get back into it here. Remember, we're joined today by Mark Morial, president and CEO of the National Urban League. And our second segment is framed thankful of the victories, because as Mark said, we have had some victories uh, with this administration with uh, I, I always kind of say it's good to be black right now because there's a lot of different industries that are really trying to build in diversity and inclusion and trying to see what they can do to bring some change. We even saw that the American Psychology Institute, they apologize for their role in, in, in racism. So to really, uh, really thankful for the victories. But Mark, to start us off here, you know, President Biden and mostly the Democratic Party has won some huge things for our community. Uh, you mentioned it, the pandemic response, infrastructure bill. There's definitely been a lot of attention given to our communities. As your organization has been kind of working on the ground, what's been the response from all of this legislation? And, and how do you see these benefits you know, really panning out when they're coming down from the federal to that state and local level? I think so much of what has been done in this first year of the Biden administration has been about keeping the boat afloat. When President Biden took office, not a single American had been vaccinated. Uh, when President Biden had taken office, uh, there was really uh, no money for American cities and states. Uh, when President Biden took office, there was no focus on uh, health disparities. I think a year later, uh, millions of people are vaccinated. We do have the Omicron variant that has made the response far more difficult. But at least I have a sense that somebody cares. At least I have a sense that there's a concerted effort 
to keep us safe and healthy. At least I have a, a, a sense that gone is all of the Trump era drama, histrionics, game playing, and literal clowning that went on about issues of public importance. So on the pandemic, the president and his team, I think, have worked as hard uh, as possible to keep us safe and healthy, but it's not been without pushback. The many who do not want to be vaccinated, who do not want to wear masks, who do not want to observe any health protocols, are the many who have dismissed uh, the efforts of the president, dismissed the efforts of public health officials, and dismissed the hard work of doctors and nurses uh, as uh, as being unnecessary or unneeded. Uh, I never would have imagined that uh, an issue like a pandemic would become a political football uh, in the United States. It's become a political football. But I want to say to everybody, get vaccinated, get vaccinated, get boosted. Uh, uh, why? I do not want to die of this pandemic, right? And I do not want to. I do not want to get it. But I certainly, I've already had it. But I'm speaking rhetorically. If one says I don't want to get it, you certainly want to say, can I get over it uh, when it takes place? So the president's, you know, uh, I think done a good score. And connected to that was the American Rescue Plan. You can never ever forget to talk about the things the president's been able to do by executive action. And these are the appointments. So I think you have a diverse administration. You have, I just signed a letter today uh, on behalf of a, of, a, of a very, very talented black woman, Sandra Thompson, uh, who's being, uh, uh, who's up to become the Federal Housing Finance Agency Director. Very powerful position. You oversee Fannie and Freddie. So you have black people in economic regulatory jobs, uh, Federal Trade Commission, uh, Commodities Future Trading Commission, uh, black people being either considered or nominated for those jobs uh, in places where never before, not even under Barack Obama, uh, did we have uh, African-Americans. Those are important because over time they can impact public policy to the good for the community, uh, broadly defined and more specifically for african Americans. So we've got the whole appointments process. And then many people, you know, do not undercount the value of infrastructure. Although I will say that the jury is out as to whether that infrastructure bill with its one trillion plus investment will produce jobs for black Americans and brown Americans and locked out and left out Americans and disadvantaged Americans. We want it to. We'll be fighting for it. But it's going to be up to the, to the government, uh, meaning at the national level, it's going to be up to the states and the cities to make sure that that happens. And and one follow up to that, Mark, uh, all of these things that are happening, do, do you do you feel that our communities are, are being able to interpret and, and, and these things? Because uh, one one big argument that we've heard about is how these bills are too big and there's a lot into them and it's going to do inflation and all this stuff. Do, do you find that the benefits are truly translating down to our community members or, or is it being lost in some of this, jar, you know, all this fluff well, in the media? Well, two things. Today, the media is loaded with puff, huff, puff, and rhetoric. The media is loaded with an environment that it is critical remarks which get attention. It is player hating which gets attention. It's throwing spitballs and rocks which gets attention. 
And therefore, many times people are confused and people say the bill is too big. I don't know what that means because that's what we asked for. Big, broad, impactful public policy. Uh, don't come uh, Easter Bunny. Please don't come to town with just two eggs if there's 100 children. Right. Santa Claus, don't bring presents for one child. Bring one for everyone in the family. I mean, I'm being proverbial about this, but the point is, is that this infrastructure bill is a 10 year bill. You really will not be able to answer whether it benefits until several years of execution and implementation. These are broad. This is what Roosevelt did. This is what Johnson did. You know, invest now for the future. It's a quick fix if you say, let's pass a pandemic bill and give everybody a $2,000 check. That's a quick fix, right? $2,000 today, and some people will spend it before sundown tomorrow. Some people might hold it, right, for months and months and months. But we have to understand public policy. And the reason why shows like yours are important is sometimes the mainstream media does leave people frustrated and confused, doesn't do a good job explaining a piece of legislation, is much more interested in elevating the critics who confuse us. It's too big. It does this. It's inflationary. It's done this. Well, they can't explain themselves. Some of them are talking about inflation. They've never been inside an economics class and wouldn't know an economics book from a comic book. <laughs> they got an opinion on economics. And when you look behind their name, it says, what about what Trump did with his tax cut? Was that inflationary? Right? Was that too big? Uh, I didn't hear you make that argument then. Why are you making that argument now? No, I mean, that's that's a great point. And I 100%, 1000% agree exactly with what you're saying. And to add on to it is that the reason why the bills have gotten larger is because we have ignored these problems yes. for decades. Yes. So the bill is coming due in a lot of ways. And so people are shocked. They're like, oh, my God, it's over a trillion dollars. But, yeah, you have decades of you know ignoring communities. We have spent trillions of dollars since the new millennium, since 2000, on wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. <laughs> trillions. Big money. Eight trillion. What is there to show for that? We have spent trillions on rich men's tax cuts. Trillions. And we have to understand that what this president represents is a priority shift. And I wish he and his team would talk about it that way. He had to shift 20 years of priorities. 20 years of Tea Party messaging, which turned into Trumpism. 20 years of disinvestment in cities, in water systems, in electric grids, in public housing, in affordable housing, in education. 20 years of disinvestment with the exception of the Obama stimulus, which was only $800 billion. Yeah. And so when you get a shift and people say, why is the bill so big? My question is, why was the tax cut so big? 
Why was and, the, and there's not a great answer. Investment, <laughs> the wars so big. Let's get real. Let's break it down. Let's call it like it is. Now, as one of my community leaders used to tell me in New Orleans all the time, he said, Mr. Mayor, make sure you put some jam on the bottom shelf where we can reach it. And so what this these policies do is put jam on the bottom shelf where average working Americans, average working Americans, which includes most black people, can reach it. And so there may be, in this instance, has not been an effective job talking, uh, uh, educating uh, the American people about the essence of these initiatives and what these bills are all about. And I say, I've said to anybody, I said, I'll debate anybody, anywhere, at any time, because these bills reflect what we ask for year after year after year in the state of Black America. And it's important to recognize that this filibuster blocked the minimum wage. This filibuster blocked the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. This filibuster is now blocking two voting rights bills. This filibuster has been the great enemy of racial progress. And the United States Senate has become the graveyard of civil rights. You're exactly right. And I mean, that was that was the next question was about the filibuster and the role it's played in killing, you know, good legislation, because, you know, now you don't even have to go and speak on the floor anymore. Time you can just time and time you know. and time again. It has been used primarily to thwart voting rights and civil rights legislation. Yeah. And time and time and time again. And this is where we are today. And our community and people should know that the filibuster has 160 exceptions and the, and the people need to know they just carved out the filibuster last month to pass a debt ceiling increase. They did it quietly. They didn't say anything about it. Right? Didn't say anything. But they did it. And some of these same people who voted for that, right, aren't going to vote to protect democracy. But they'll vote to protect the investors in America's bonds. Like you say, the priority priorities. And the distinction priority. and the hypocrisy and the contradiction is so, so clear and so real. So with that said, you know, what do you think, what do you think it'll take for Congress? Because I think I even saw Joe Manchin is going to the White House today. Not sure what will come of that. There are talks that they may carve out the filibuster to pass voting rights legislation. Do you think there is a real chance well, that we could Cinema, see some movement Cinema with said, this? Cinema said today she's not going to vote to carve it out. So effectively, it means that right now you're not going to get it. But I think Chuck Schumer should put the filibuster reform on the floor and let these members vote for or against it. Let's see where they stand on the record. 
Let's see where they stand on the record. I agree with you completely on that because, you know, one of the things that I always say is that, you know, you can't, you know, try to focus so much on Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema. You need to go to Arizona, go to West Virginia and get their constituents talking to them to change their mind. And, and that's what and that's what you're going to do. Get that that transparency, because we don't have that in, in Congress right now. So uh, you've hit on some great things, Mark, and I, I appreciate that. And I like what you said about the the economics, because my my undergrad is in economics, and I, I always laugh at some of the things that I hear politicians say that we need it, that they believe that this is what we should do, and they don't know anything about what's going on. You know, you know, like you said, they don't know an economics book, probably probably from a, a you know anything. So it's interesting book. that you an economics they, book, a comic book. <laughs> There you go. I like that. So with that, listeners, we're going to take another break here. When we come back, we got to get into our third segment, which is talking about building some momentum for what we got going on. So make sure you stick with us. We'll be right back. You have been listening to the Black Agenda podcast hosted by Adrian Guest and Devin Dito. If you enjoy listening to the show, let the host know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda Pod and give a few dollars. After all, the Black Agenda Podcast is supported by listeners like you. Let's get back to the show. All right, so welcome back, listeners. We are continuing our conversation with Mr. Mark Morial. He is the president and CEO of the National Urban League. And so we've had a spirited conversation talking about the filibuster and other legislation that has been stumped because of it. And so, you know, after the 2020 election, I would say, you know, a lot of black voters didn't have lofty expectations for the Biden administration. And we have covered and talked about some of the accomplishments, but also some of the things that you say are incomplete and have been rendered incomplete because of problems in Congress. And we just kind of see how it plays out. But like we have said before, and I reiterate it, there has been some accomplishments with appointments of black judges, getting the American rescue plan passed, which meant a lot of black cities with black mayors got much needed help and financial relief. And so this is another election year. I know people are like, are we voting again? But yes, we are 2020 was the presidential election, but we do have the midterms this year. And so, uh, you know, Mark, as we look towards the midterms, we've already kind of seen President Biden's poll numbers slide a little bit amongst, not just amongst the country, but as particularly with Black voters, you have seen his approval rating come down. And so there, as you say, there's work to be done to tell people these are the things that have actually been accomplished that will help the community. So, you know, what is your message to black voters who may you feel know, like I that President black, Biden and black people and Democrats? Vote. I think I don't think that not voting is ever an option. I think not voting is the biggest cop out and surrender uh, we could ever engage in, because by not voting, who are we leveraging? Who are we leveraging? Uh, we have to vote. Uh, I realize that sometimes we feel like we have nothing for whom to vote. But I tell people, when you go to vote, you're not just voting for Congress, you're voting for governors, mayors, local electeds. Uh, So, you know, my message to everyone is we have to create a culture in our community of civic engagement. I vote by habit. I vote because of responsibility. I vote for people I'm not in love with. I don't view 
<laughs> politics is romance. I don't view politics as going to a restaurant, and if I don't like what's on the menu, I walk out. I view it as sustenance. It's like going to sleep and waking up. It's like drinking water. It's something that is a necessity that I must do. And we have to create that climate in our community because those on the other side, they have that climate. They have that climate. They're going to vote. Uh, they're going to vote all the time. Uh, they're going to vote even when they don't like the choices. And it's the only power we have is voting and economic power uh, in this country. And so at this point, uh, I am gravely disappointed about voting rights. In fact, I am more than disappointed, but the choice of words that I feel you cannot use on your show. It would be... <laughs> it would, it, 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 and so I'll just say that. No, you're right. And honestly, uh, if we had brought you on to our weekly roundup, you know, sometimes we have some choice words on that one because uh, we talk a lot about news, so it's, it's hard to back down. But why, my, my why question is choice words. I don't use choice <laughs> words because my mama would kick my you know what. Something about she's <laughs> going okay. to public airwaves. Like she said, I don't care what anybody else does. What they say or what you think is cool. Don't go on those airwaves. I said, you know, so, I mean, but I'm, I'm I, I, the way I feel about where we are, but we cannot lose faith. Because without faith and hope, we have nothing. And I think black people uh, have, have, in some cases, have chosen to vote by not voting, which I don't think is an option. I think in our community, say I didn't vote, but what, what is what does what does it get you? What does that accomplish? It gets you nothing. <laughs> you in your head, you can you know it's easy to sell wolf tickets on the corner with your friends listening, right? And I think it is so critical, right, that we uh, 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 recognize that we have to vote, even as we may be voting sometimes for people we love, we have enthusiasm. I thought Joe Biden was the kind of person who could beat Donald Trump. And when we were picking, when the Democrats were picking a nominee, the issue was who would make the best general election candidate, right? Uh, and in, in that case, it might not have been the person you thought you liked the most, but it was important when you're running against an incumbent. and he was able to put the coalition together because it took a big coalition to defeat Donald Trump. Which is exactly right. But, you know, I didn't want to ask this question, too, because even though Joe Biden was able to put together enough of a coalition to get over the hump and defeat Donald Trump, Democrats still took some losses in the lower tier races, whether Senate, local races, they really did take a whooping. And we saw it again this past election cycle in 21, where you saw the Virginia, Virginia governor's race where Glenn Youngkin won. And then the, the race in New Jersey shocked everyone with just how close it was. And I so I guess speak, the question I here speak is to New Jersey uh -huh. because I vote in New Jersey. Uh, uh, Governor Murphy and the Democrats didn't put any effort into turning out black voters. They 
thought that because they were ahead in public opinion polls, uh, it meant that they were going to win. Let me say this. In politics, and you all know I spent 20 years in elected politics, you run scared all the time. You always run as though somebody is right on your shoulder. And you have to have that mindset and not look at, oh, I got this covered. Right? And work and fight and really appeal to African-American voters and Democratic-based voters and Democratic coalition voters if you're running as a Democrat. Uh, what has happened in America is the Republican Party doesn't even try to get African-American voters. They, in effect, use African-American voters and African-American issues as a way to stimulate turnout amongst <laughs> their base. They figured out rock throwing, spitballs, tossed at black people and brown people work for them to get their base fired up and get them out. You need to understand the framing. And, and it, there was once a time when the GOP did try to get black voters. Uh, I've seen no effort by, GO, by, by the GOP. Most even black Republicans that I've known over the years are not even active in Republican politics anymore. They're kind of on the fringe. They feel locked out. The Republican Party today is not your grandfather's Republican Party. It is radically Absolutely. changed. It's not the party of Reagan. It's not the party of Nixon. Not the party of Reagan. It's not the party of Bush. It isn't. It's become the party of Trumpism and Trump nationalism. And and to that point, I just, you know, quickly, we've, you know, talking about Republicans don't even make the effort to try to reach out to black voters. What What is it, what does the Democratic Party need to understand as far as reaching out to black voters and getting the message right to where they, you know, people don't wait till they October, need, November they, to think it's time to, to come out and vote. They need to more meaningfully listen to African-American leaders and not have drive-by relationships. You know, there are some members of the United States Senate uh, that have deep relationship with African-American leaders. There may be some that engage in drive-by politics. You know, they have the relationship when it's needed and when it's convenient. Right. And 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 part of it is having meaningful conversations with African-American. Look, whether it's the African-American community, the Latino community, the labor community, one of the keys to success in politics is, is talking to people and listening to them and engaging with them. And it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work. It, you know, I, I had a big coalition, broad coalition in New Orleans. First time I ran for mayor, I got 54, 55% of the vote. Second time I ran, I had 80% of the vote. I didn't lose any of my base. I kept my base and I built out. But it was very much engagement and performance driven. You know, I work to change things. I engage with voters. I talk to people. I was also straight with people, right? People talk to me, come to see me. And if they told me they want, if they asked me to do something I felt like I couldn't do, I told them I couldn't do it. 
or I don't agree with it. And no problem, not, uh, and if I could do it, if I said I was going to do something, I tried to do it. And that's, you know, I just engage in straight talk and straight action in dealing with issues, right? And not beat around the bush and fake and fool people uh, and posture all the time. And uh, so I think that uh, for uh, you know, uh, people today, one of the most important parts of electoral politics today is to really, really invest in and pay attention to younger voters, voters under 40 uh, who have uh, thoughts and opinions and are heavily engaged. And I, and I see uh, a need for more young people to run for public office, to offer themselves, to put themselves in the ring, put themselves in the arena. Uh, uh, and, and, and I think that that is something that should, 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 should really truly happen. I, absolutely. And, and one thing I think that's got to happen, just because whenever I look at the U.S. population, you know, white Americans outnumber all minority groups by, you know, huge margins. And I sometimes think, you know, whenever we talk about health care, daycare, infrastructure, jobs, maybe their communities aren't needing that as desperately or maybe they're not but figuring he, out that those things are good here, for all here's communities. A secret. Here's a secret. There are more poor white people in America than poor black people. But the percentage of black people that are poor is greater. Uh, things like the child tax credit, because its threshold was $75,000, means that uh, maybe uh, half of white families would benefit from it. Maybe uh, two thirds of black families would, but significant white numbers of white families would. Uh, you could talk about any of these issues and white families and white people benefit significantly from so much of this. Unfortunately, the political narrative sometimes that's created is that it's only for us, which is not true. Not true. And, and those arguments are designed to undercut it and to create resentment when the beneficiaries are black, brown, and white. No, I that's think that's right. exactly. Oh, go ahead. You got oh, it. No, 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 you're fine. I was just going to say, I think that sums it up right. Because who, who doesn't need to make sure they've got great schools, health care, jobs, and opportunity, daycare for their kids? That's something that's going to help we everybody. All we're all the same aspir have the same aspirations. And, and that is so true. And many of these programs, you know, and initiatives, you know, highly benefit uh, both, uh, but all communities all communities. Uh, and it's important to say that. And I think that the administration should do a better job getting out here and explaining, talking <laughs> to people about these initiatives. Yeah, we are, we're, we're going to actually do an episode about that later in this season and even probably next season, because that's one thing that we've been frustrated with the Democrats about uh, for a while now is their messaging. But uh, what we're going to do, Mark, we're going to take our last break with you. And when we come back, we got to just get your final message and make sure we wrap this up in a great bow and send it off to our listeners. We appreciate you listening, listeners. We'll be right back. Would you like to contribute to our scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, 
go to patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda Pod. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, welcome back. Remember, we're joined today by Mark Morial, President and CEO of the National Urban League. And Mark, just to kind of leave us with a, a good final message, we've kind of touched on the fact that there's been a lot of opposition and pessimism around some of the things that are happening with the Biden administration and out of Congress. But we know progress is slow and sometimes change is hard for people to you know, swallow. So we just wanted to kind of ask you, Mark, for your final message. How do we energize our communities to be dedicated to this fight for civil rights and social justice, even in that face of opposition? We have to understand the threat, the threat that threatens to wipe out significant gains, wipe out the Voting Rights Act, wipe out affirmative action, undercut the power of the federal government to intervene in police brutality cases. The effort to undercut the progress that we've made and the tools that we have is being carried out by sinister, uh, uh, sophisticated, uh, treacherous individuals uh, who are clever and diabolical. And you don't see their hands. Uh, You can turn on Fox News and see their arguments and understand where we are. This threat, let us not be in a period of complacency because we like how we look on our Instagram pages. Let's not be in a period of complacency uh, because we've achieved some material success. Let us also understand as we celebrate the birthday of Martin Luther King on Monday that Dr. King's work in his ministry and his civil rights work was about the next generation. So these issues we work on are issues we work on to impact the generation of our children who come behind us. So on this King birthday, I want everyone to uphold voting rights, advocate for voting rights, say to members of the Senate and say to this nation, let's not, let's honor Dr. King, but don't celebrate while the right to vote's being taken away. Wow, that's a great final message there. I like how you hit on voting rights because, you know, when John Lewis had passed away, we did a lot to commemorate that and a lot about his legacy and MLK's legacy was framed in voting rights and how that was the most powerful tool in a democracy and how we've got to make sure that we uh, really, really work to enhance that. So we appreciate you bringing it back to that because uh, listeners, you got to make sure you do your part if you want better progress in your community. And Mark, I just wanted to say uh, thank you. Uh, you were really, really awesome. Uh, very, very great excitement. Great message. Everything. Uh, Devin, uh, I'll let you say some thanks too before we let Mark go. Yeah, I just echo everything that Adrian said. And uh, Mark, you know, we hope that we'll get to connect with you later on, yeah. maybe this year, to get your thoughts on the election and what's coming up. But an awesome message, and hopefully, listeners, you can take that with you into 2022 as we get started, and hopefully, make voting a habit. I like that. Make that you make it a habit. habit. All right, hey guys, that's, how, that's the message. <laughs> Keep the faith, spread it generously, and stay empowered. Absolutely. And listeners, make sure you check out uh, the National Urban League on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find them on Twitter and Instagram. Go ahead, Mark. You, you got at the Nat Urban League. At Nat Urban League. 
uh, or you can also follow me at Mark Morial, M-A-R-C-M-O-R-I-A-L, at Nat Urban League. Perfect, perfect. Thank you for that. And listeners, we're going to give you another break and leave Mark. So stick with us for our ending. We'll be right back. God bless you guys. Thank you. We absolutely appreciate your support. You are the foundation and our efforts work to better your communities. Tell your family and friends so we can all work to bring progress. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. Welcome back, listeners. So let's go ahead and wrap this thing up here. Our first episode is in the books. It was a great episode, and we have more upcoming. So here's what you have to look forward to. So first up, we'll be back with you on Saturday, January 22nd, for our very first weekly roundup of the season. Uh, tons of news to get to. You know about it. We'll probably be talking about Kristen Cinema and Joe Manchin <laughs> as we ended the season talking about them last year. They're probably going to be on the docket coming up this Saturday. Lots of political news to get to, but also some things about COVID and whatever else is going on. We'll have it for you on our very first weekly roundup. That is going to be this Saturday, January 22nd. Now, after that, our next episode, our regular episode, is going to be coming to you on Tuesday, January 24th. And this time we're going to be focusing on virtual learning. So the question we're going to be asking is, is virtual learning actually hurting students? And so we know what the COVID procedures and, and requirements, there have been lots of students who've had to go through virtual learning. And so we're going to dig into whether that is actually good for students. And so be on the lookout for an announcement of who the guest is. You know it's going to be someone great because that's how we do it here at the Black Agenda. So make sure you tune in on Tuesday, January 24th, as we dig into whether virtual learning is good for students. And so um, moving on from there, I'm going to throw it over to Adrian. So we got some big news, some exciting news for us as we're getting uh, building some new things here. You can still help us out, but there's going to be a new way you can help us out. And Adrian's going to let you know what's coming up. Absolutely, Devin. So listeners, as we're getting into a new season, we're actually going to be doing something really cool with donations. But you got to hold your pennies, nickels, dimes, and dollars because we don't have it launched just yet. But get ready for that. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna be switching to a new platform. It's called Patron. Uh, it's something that you probably have heard of with other podcasting platforms and some other nonprofit groups. But we're even gonna have merchandise through that. It's gonna be a really, really awesome thing. So, like I said, save your money. Be on the lookout for that. We're gonna have a whole marketing campaign on social media to make sure we promote that. And then with our other episodes, we're going to make sure that you know how to get to it, you know how to navigate to it. I'm going to give you the same spiel I gave to you last season and the season before and the season before that. What you're doing is helping us build a movement, helping us build an organization. We can't do it without you. So like I said, make sure y'all be on the lookout for that. Also, be on the lookout for our charity of the month that's going to be coming up for the month of February. We don't like to do one middle of the month because then we don't really get to promote it as much. But on the, in the month of February, we're going to have a charity of the month. So make sure you be on the lookout for that. 
But one thing you can do on today, it's MLK Day. You're already participating at some charity events. You're probably interacting with charity organizations. Consider giving some money to them. Consider finding out an organization that advocates for civil rights and social justice and making that your charity to give to for January if you want to go ahead and do something for a charity of the month. So just wanted to throw it out there. It's MLK Day. You're already in a great environment for giving. So you know, consider doing it. Uh, Devin, other than that, uh, I'm just ready to have a great season and uh, can't wait till we have our new donation platform launched so people can start giving. That is exactly right. Be on the lookout. Be on the lookout. A lot of exciting things upcoming. And so before we go, we also want to let you know you can still follow us. You can like us and share us on social media. Our handle it's at Black Agenda Pod, and you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And our handle is at Black Agenda Pod. You can also find us on YouTube. Uh, just search the Black Agenda Podcast there, and then you can go through a very, very uh, lengthy catalog where we have some great conversations about a lot of different topics. So I would definitely tell you to check that out. Uh, before we go, we want to give another last thanks and farewell to our guest, Mr. Mark Morial. And the National Urban League, they're doing some awesome work. And we thank Mark for giving us his time and coming on the show and being our very first guest of what is going to be a really, really, really great season. I'm not just saying that, people. We got some really good stuff lined up. So we hope you continue to tune in and listen to me and Adrian as we bring you the news, but also dig into some topics that you may not hear about when you turn your TV on. So for me and Adrian, we thank you for listening to our very first episode of the season. And we're going to catch you again on Saturday, January 22nd for our weekly roundup and again on January 24th to talk about virtual learning. So until then, we'll catch you next time.